I saw that you just went home recently, right? I did. Where, where is home? Tennessee. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Tennessee. Tennessee. That's one of my first rap albums, Arrested Development. What part of Tennessee? It, it actually, speaking of Arrested Development, they actually name check a town really close to me, um, past uh, Dyersburg and Ender Ripley. Those are both, I'm in West Tennessee, like an hour east of Memphis. Uh-huh. This like tiny town, like less than 8,000 people or something. Really? Yeah, it's what, really small. What's it called? It's called Henderson. Henderson. Mm-hmm. Wow, shout out Henderson, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys end up in Henderson, Tennessee? Or you just have like generations upon generations of folks that are from the U.S.? No. my. I mean, my parents, my dad's a pharmacist, and so uh-huh. he moved there to like, you know, you own his own pharmacy. people addicted to opioids? Opioids. That's a very interesting uh, point. My dad. I mean, my dad has great stories about what, like fiends coming in. Yeah, really. Yeah, which is practically everybody now. It is. It's a a real epidemic. There are a lot of bad things happening in the country that I feel like you're on top of, and that we'll cover. The opioid addiction might be the first (laughs) one that we're on top of. No. Uh, So wait, where is he from then? If he moved to Henderson, Tennessee, he was from the east side of the, like middle side of the middle Tennessee. Okay. My mom was from West Tennessee. They met at college. So they're still Tennessee. College sweethearts. Yeah, Tennesseans, yeah. though. And so your grandparents are from Tennessee. Yep. Are their grandparents from Tennessee? Yep. So wow. Were you, I'm really a... I'm, you got roots I here. Tennessee. You have roots in, the, in America, for sure. Yeah. What is Henderson, Tennessee like? It's just... I mean, we lived in the, quote, city. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's rural. It's like country... When I sit on the front porch in the morning, there's no noise. When I sit on the front porch at night, there's cicadas. That's it. Not crickets? What's a cicada? Cicadas are the ones that sound like... I mean, well, that's very... That does not really come out. I didn't know you were such an impersonator. (laughs) I didn't know you had like... (laughs) That did not come out the same way. Right, right. Cicadas sound very sexual. (laughs) (laughs) Cicadas sound like panting. Um... Yeah, so that's what it's like. It's like super rural. I mean, not many people. Everybody pretty much knows everybody. Do you live in like a Forrest Gump looking house? Is it like a big white house with two stories and columns no, out front? No, oh. I do not. When you say rural, like, are there is there farmland? Yeah, there are farms. But you're not from I'm a farm. I'm not from a farm, are no, because my dad was a pharmacist. Are you, is so. it like a cul-de-sac? Are you from a cul-de-sac? Yes, I do live on a cul-de-sac. Okay. But, like, the things you're talking about, like the big white houses with the, you know, the big columns mm. and the sort of, you know, sycamore. I was or, basically picturing a plantation in my yeah, head. You it really? Was, I was going to say, go deeper. Go yeah, to Mississippi. The, okay. That's, that's where you need to go. I don't really know that much about the South. I don't know a lot of people from the South in general, particularly in Los Angeles. What is the difference between Tennessee and Mississippi or like Tennessee and Georgia or something like that? I mean, I mean, everybody's Southern, but the accents are really different. Like you can really tell accents from, you know, from Kentucky to Tennessee to Alabama to Mississippi. And then you've, of course, in Mississippi and Memphis, you've got the river. So you've got the Delta down in Mississippi. You've got river folks. I mean, that's I mean, it's. I mean, that's just, yeah. What's a river folk? Well, it's, I mean, it's just a particular kind of person, like, who's been raised on the river, the same way as a pe- person who's been raised raised on the farm yeah. is different, you know? I mean, I feel like if you're raised on the L.A. River, you probably got some, <laughs> probably very different from <laughs> the Delta. Very different yeah. from the Delta. Yeah, right. But, you know, it's, I love going back there because I, when I grew up, when I was growing up there, I just wrote an essay about this, actually, about Hayton where I lived, you know, 
because it was so quiet, it was so still. And you know, when we were kids, there were no there was no internet. Right. I mean, we have video games, but it speak w- for yourself. I'm only 22. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry, you're just out of. I just turned 35. <laughs> so we're like a part of a generation yeah. that didn't have that stuff. Right. So it was like go play, you know. So I mean. On, I mean, I feel like that's why we have imagination. I mean, I have a vivid imagination because I had to play by myself all the time. It's so crazy how much you sound like you hate millennials right now. I do. You, <laughs> you just, you like just hate millennials. You're like, fuck this Pokemon Go shit. I don't have Pokemon Go. Me neither. But I mean, I feel like you, you mispronounced it. It's Pokemon. I definitely did. No, I'm just I definitely did. Wait, so, uh,. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I grew up in a rural area as well, and there was a lot of having to, like, go out and play and do stuff. Uh, But at the same time, I was also, like, a complete cable addict and, like, grew up worshipping MTV and, and, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, sitcoms, Thursdays on NBC, Seinfeld and all that shit. Like, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, you're a writer now. Yeah. That's why you're here. You are a writer and you, you write for many of uh, my favorite publications and you're doing great. And you, but you also have a very distinct taste uh, of like music that you appreciate. Where did this taste begin in your childhood? Was it early on that you picked up on like rap music? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the first things I remember loving were Prince. I knew the words to like Little Red Corvette. Uh-huh. And I loved Shaka Khan. And Shaka Khan going into rehab for uh, pills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fentanyl. It was a fentanyl? Yeah. That's like so really worse. scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like early on, I don't know what it was. We had MTV when I was a kid from ever, yeah. you know, and I loved videos. I loved um, all the sort of, I mean, I love Madonna because it was the 80s, you right. know, and Sheila E and Prince and the rap was my older brother though. Like, oh, okay. I just remember we would be on the bus, and I don't know where it started for him, but he would have, like, tapes, and our bus driver was, like, the cool bus driver, and he would let us play tapes. He was, like, Otto from The Simpsons. He was so cool. We rode the cool bus. It was, like, a you know, a thing back then. Right. Like, you thought it was a cool bus, and now you look back, and you're like, why was it so short? (laughs) Uh, That's terrible, Dad. That's why it was cool. Yeah. Uh... Oh, but yeah, so we he would like rap. My older brother would like you know be on the bus with his buds and like, rapping. Yeah, yeah. And my mom and dad were e- just innocent, I guess. Yeah, they let us listen to whatever we wanted to. You just got one older brother. Is that your only sibling? One younger and one older. One younger. Oh, so uh-huh. you're the middle middle girl and the, and the gal. Yeah. Well, uh, what mom do? Um, she was a homemaker. Like she like stayed home with us. Traditional Southern mama. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and she was, was really good at it. Was we it had all- fresh sheets every other day. Wow. And like f- iced tea and lemonade all the time and stuff or what? Uh, she wasn't so much of a cook. Oh. She didn't love that. She's not a cook? Mm-mm. I picture a southern mother being like, I'm the cook. so good at cooking. I'm the cook. Where'd you learn to cook from? Chops. I just learned myself. Probably because yeah. my mom didn't like it. Did you live close to any of your grandparents though? Uh, no, a couple hours. So you guys were way. so you guys were rural, and you were on your own like familial unit where like you didn't have it wasn't a bunch of cousins around and stuff like that. No, no. But we, I mean, we had a tight family. Yeah, but it was they lived you know an hour and a half away. Uh huh. And so your older brother gets into rap. Was your and then did he influence both you and your younger brother? Was he like he was like a cool older brother? Yeah, yeah for sure. Right. I'm sure he did. I mean, but my little brother is one who introduced me to Triple Six. Like, oh. 
I mean, my little brother was rolling around like hard. Right. My older brother was too. What's the age difference? Four years between all of us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it's, yeah, it was pretty funny. We all were like super heavy into rap. Really? Yeah. And so you're so close to Memphis, you brought up Triple Six immediately. Like, you guys must have been on it when it was like a local level. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. My older, I mean, my younger brother, I recently asked him, like, what did he like? What was his favorite, like, Triple Six, like, tape? And he named some uh, completely obscure mixtape. Right. I mean, that nobody would, yeah. Like, that's just, yeah, we were just, like, really fortunate to be, like, there and, Get that. That's the rap. One of the rap stations we can pick up in the car. How far were you guys from Memphis? Seventy miles. Oh, so like an hour, hour yeah. drive. Would you mm-hmm. guys drive into Memphis when you were kids? No, were, uh, we did. Like yeah. with our mom, our mom would take shopping there and whatever. Right. But so it was like the big city. So, you, but and when you're in high school, you couldn't just drive there for like, a, oh, well, I'm 17 now. I'm gonna go party in Memphis. None of that. No. That you'll admit. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I did after I, I did after a while. Right. We would go because there was like a club there. Right. You right. know, I mean, everybody wanted to go to a club. Well, so sociologically, what's Henderson like? Is it middle class? Was it or was it like diverse? Was yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, well, diverse. I mean, it was black and white. Yeah. Though. And was it pretty segregated in that sense where it's like the wrong side of the tracks, quote unquote? No, not no. really. Okay. It wasn't big enough to be that way. Yeah. You know, people would live out in the country. Right. Or people lived in town, but it wasn't really, like, separated. Like, in high school, I mean, it was all together. Right. It just, and maybe that's one, I mean, I feel like that was influential on me. Uh-huh. Because I definitely saw, there were black dudes who were cowboys, you know? Oh, wow. Like, rocking, like, way more than I ever did. Like, right. I didn't listen to country music. I didn't care. I did not want anything to do with it. Uh-huh. But, you know, there were, like, black dudes rocking Wranglers and cowboy hats. So, it was weird like that. You know, you and I, we text on and off about, like, uh, about writing stuff and, and articles. And I, one of my main bones to pick with, like, music journalism in general now is that people are so... It's always, like, these young... It's young white dudes that are like hipsters kind of discovering rap and speaking with this hubris that they like know about rap, you know, or that they understand the culture or whatever. Yeah. And they and they feel the right to critique it. But one of the things I've always found interesting about you and what I pick up from your writing is that like you're you're not really you're not like a hipster fucking rap lover. Like you're not you're not somebody that's going out to seek some you're not looking to seek people that are reinventing the wheel. Like you truly just love black music, like from a genuine place and have, I can tell that you've grown up around it and it's not some like self discovery you're going through when you're writing. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, you like rappers that a lot of hipsters don't like, you know what I mean? People that they, Oh, that's so mainstream or something like you, you fuck with that shit and that's tight to me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, uh, I, do, I forget where I was going when I started that rant, but it's well, more like it seems like you had a genuine experience with black culture as a kid or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was just always immersed in that music. I right. mean, you're right. You yeah. know, I just that's what I like to listen to right. since I can remember being, you know, five or six years old. Right. So I think that I think that's true. But I think the other thing is, is, you know, as a writer, I mean, I've always been a reader, like a voracious reader, mm-hmm. and I think 
the thing is, is I'm not interested in talking about myself. Mm-hmm. I really want to like help tell other people's stories, mm-hmm. and that sounds pretty. That sounds a little cliched, but I, that's how I approach it. You know, so I never try. I don't want to approach it as I'm this expert, and I, you know, I love it. And so why would I not want to tell stories about it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what I like to l- listen to. And mm-hmm. I don't want to critique it as much either. You know, I, of course, I write reviews. Everybody does. But for me, what is my favorite? You know, I love to write profiles and features and mm-hmm. really get inside, you know, the head of people who are making the music I love. Right. Well, and it's if, just from a curation standpoint of the things that you write about, I always notice that you're more off the beaten path of like what the standard music journalist is. If, if everybody's trying to cover Frank Ocean, you would be talking about The Dream or Solange or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. or Miguel. Or if everyone's talking about, uh, I don't know, Young Thug or whomever, it's like you're doing YG. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's just like these, I, I don't know. It's It's like, and then they blow up later. You know what I mean? Like, I, f- I feel right. okay, this is going to sound maybe bogus coming out of a white dude's mouth, but I feel like you're up on artists that, like, white people are laid on. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's a compliment. Right. Thank you. Right. But, yeah, you know, I think YG's a good point. When I first moved here in 09, right. that was the first local rapper I, like, attached to. From the Spliff, that- right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I loved that song, Pussy Killer, that uh-huh. he had. And so the minute I heard that, I was like, who is this dude? And when I hear one thing, I'm just like checking for that person always. Right. I did that with Schoolboy Q. Right. The same way, you know, he came up to me like this rangy kid and was just like, you should like watch out for me. And I don't know why I did, but I did. And next thing I know, Setbacks is out. And I was like, okay, right. he's right. Like, right. It's right. tight. But yeah, I mean, maybe it is. it's just what I like. And so I, if I like it, I'm just going to keep an eye on it. But it's hard for me to force myself into like, oh, here's somebody new that everybody's trying to talk about. Well, I should be on it too. Right, you know? right. I can't, I'm not going to force myself. Uh, I think that's one of the things I appreciate about your writing is that you, you it doesn't ever seem like you're like uh, writing for clicks. Maybe sometimes you are. I have no idea. Yeah, but, but no. Like, yeah. Well, I try not to. Right. I mean, yeah, that would be. You write about things you, genu- you genuinely care about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, that's what makes it – otherwise, why would I do it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty – I mean, you're in a creative profession. Mm-hmm. You don't do it for the money. You're not doing it because, you know, you're getting rich and famous off of it. You do it because there's a piece that you can really pour your heart into. And, you know, for me recently, I did that on a YG profile. Mm-hmm. And that was just – I cared about that story so much because, I can, you know, I just wanted – I wanted him to get because I, I I feel like he's put like blood, sweat, and tears in his career, and you know I mean it's literally fascinating. Blood, you know, literally picking back me and bull, <laughs> yeah, bull bomb and collective. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Continue though. You wanted he yeah. put the blood, sweat, and tears, and you wanted to like do his story justice. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel a responsibility to do somebody's story justice. Right. That's what keeps me. That's why I take. I mean, I'm you know, kill myself over pieces sometimes because I just don't, you know, they put so much work into this and then you're just going to write some, you know, hacky piece. Like, no, I mean, I was inspired by rappers my whole life, the way, how colorful, you know, their imagery was. And that, that's a huge influence on me as much as any fiction writer, you Uh know? 
One of the other things that I've always like really appreciated about your writing is how kind of um, seemingly self-aware you are of the fact that you are a guest to the culture and you don't have uh, necessarily a right to it or or you you don't have an ownership over it. Yeah. Like – one of my favorite tweets that I read of yours was something about how you're only interested in reading um, reading articles that have been written by women of color lately, right? Yeah. And and I and I love that too because it, it's I don't know I don't know why, but uh, but uh, like I said, I have a, a problem with a lot of like white male music journalists that cover rap music because I don't think that they like have any certain understanding or. Or then they didn't grow up in it or something, particularly if you're like under the age of 25. There's something so like weird about writing about black culture to me, uh, particularly critiquing it. So tell me about that that sensitive area of being like a white woman covering rap music. Like, how do you walk the line of like knowing your role in this culture? Well, I think a lot of times maybe my appearance is a little disarming because I know sometimes people do not think I'm here to do the rap interview, you know, because like you said, I don't, I mean, I dress the way I dress. I'm a Southern girl and you can definitely tell that. I think, I think I met, you know, I had this friend, um, a couple years ago who, when he first met me was like, I told him what I did after we had hung out a couple of times and he was like, wait, what? He's like, I thought you were like a little housewife listening to country music. So I think I come off that way. Right. And um, I, I think that that helped. I think that people recognize in me that I'm not trying to be like all down and shit, you know. Right. I think they think she is coming here. She is who she is. And she's listening to me. And she's respecting me. And there's a mutual respect, I hope. I feel like, you know, that we... I have that with people I interview. Right. Um, but I, I have a problem sometimes when I see certain people, you know, um, who try to go in and just, you know, the whole, like, yes, queen and all that stuff from certain people, it, it bothers me. I'm like, right. that's not, why, what are you doing? It, it comes off to me as disingenuous, you know? Like kind of a weird code switching that almost seems like a mockery in a sense? Or you know, what? yeah, and I don't think it's intentional. Yeah. But to me it comes off as like you're being disrespectful to me, you know? Right. You're you're putting on in front of people that you wouldn't do this if you were... In a different environment. Yeah, right? right. Yeah. It's weird to me. Yeah. Well, that brings up an interesting... The initial thing you said about your appearance being disarming and your 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 southern charm being disarming has it been over the years difficult as a woman being taken more being taken seriously like do okay i I remember back the, one of the first times you and I ever spoke I was trying to find somebody to write a bio for me mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. met uh, at a, a diner and we had coffee and we talked for like I talk forever because I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and, the bright spot. Right, yeah, at I the remember. bright spot, right. And so I was like, when we were done, uh, you're like, yeah, I think I have like obviously way more than enough. And I was like, yo, this was amazing. This was like <laughs> the best date I've ever been on because all you did was let me talk the whole time and I didn't have to like worry about anything. And um, 
and it was disarming, but now I look back and I go, oh, I shouldn't have said that that way because that's like fucking sexist and misogynist or whatever. So do you get people mistaking you for like, oh, you're back here because you like want to fuck rappers or something? Like, do yeah. you get that kind of shit? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. Not usually. Well, I don't know. Maybe from rappers. But I mean, they're definitely I, I had a time at El Rey. Yeah. I was doing an interview and I got there and I just showed up like I showed up. Yeah. And the bouncer wouldn't let me back there. Because he thought that's what I was doing. He had, he did not believe me that I was there to like do an interview. Right. So, yeah, I think that that probably is the impression that a lot of people get. Um, so it's always, you know, a moment of victory for me when afterwards, if people have been listening to, into the interview, you know, they kind of have this new appreciation for me and newfound respect that I'm not there to, like, have sex. I'm there to, like, do a job. And, right. yeah, so that's a nice feeling. Is it a sexist industry that you're in? Like, do you feel it from people? I mean, not really. But then again, I'm from the South. Right. So I'm used to being called darling, baby, honey. That's what I call. All the things I call you in our emails. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, that's the way I talk to people, too. Right. You know, but so I may not be the best judge of that. Yeah. Because to me, I like it when somebody's all automatically calling me honey or right. darling. And some other women would be like, fuck you, you know? But like me, I'm just like, oh, it's like home. Right, you know? right. It's okay with me. Okay. So take me back to childhood. Like, what were the things that you were, How did you find out about Prince? That struck me immediately. It's like, oh, you're into Prince. Like, how do you, who put you onto Prince? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. It had to be MTV. Right. Because we loved it, you okay. know? We watched it when we were kids. I just remember first grade, and that's when I first had seen any, like, you know, we were just, like, all into, like, MTV, you know, MTV raps and, you know, MTV raps and watching just, that was, like, the sleepover activity, you know? Like, when I had sleepovers, we watched MTV at Uh night, you know? Ate pizza and watched MTV and danced. Right. So that was, like, always an essential part of my childhood was... Music and dancing. I love to dance. Like, that's, like, my favorite, you know? Right. If I can just go to a show and not have to review it and just dance to, like, rap music, that's what I'd rather be doing, you know? Right. Um, but that's just what I always have done my whole life. What was it about Prince? I I have a confession. I'm, I've probably made it publicly before, but, like, I never really, like, latched on to Prince. Like, it just never, it didn't. It never struck me that, that right yeah. way, you know what I mean? So what was it about him as a kid that, oh, like, you man. clicked to? Well, first of all, I was inconsolable when he died. Oh, I know. I, well, I, I don't you know and, if I, and our mutual friend Celine were like both. Yeah. I saw you guys going back for the. She was very beat up too. Yeah, I, I, well, I cried like it was a member of my family. Right. Like I was just broken up. A week later, I was on the phone with my little brother, and I started crying over it. And he was like, "What's wrong with you, sis?" I was like, "I'm just like beat up over this Prince thing." I think it was a combination of. As a little girl, he looked the way I kind of wanted to look. Like, I loved his outfits. I loved his makeup. I loved his hair. Right. But he also, like, woke, he, like, woke something up. Like, that was my first, like, sexual feelings. I was going to say, like, as a little kid, as a a young woman or as a little girl, really, you must have been like, what is this strange feeling? Absolutely. The first time I remember feeling that was watching the video for Kiss. Uh And there was one moment when he, like... Bends her over. No, or the girl's like dancing, yeah. and and she, he walks up and he puts his hand on her belly, and I was like, Oh, on her belly. Ooh, okay. I like, 
it like took my breath away. I was like, what is going on? Right. And then I felt like a little dirty for, but I had to see that video. I, that was one of the videos I would like lie in wait, waiting for it to come on. Right. Before you could just YouTube shit. Yeah, exactly. We used to VHS videos. Did you VHS videos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taped everything on VHS. Right, totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the the dirty part, you felt dirty. Did you grow up super religious? We grew up in church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I went to a Southern Baptist church my whole life. What's that like? I grew up Catholic, yep. so my church was so boring. You oh, know? yeah. Ours was more fun. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was in... I did theater when I was a kid, too. Uh-huh. And I think that watching, you know, Baptist preachers is pretty good. Like, it's a performance. Very you know? theatrical, right? Very theatrical. Lots of up and down voice raising. Energy. You know, pauses, energy. I mean, they're good preachers because, you know, that's what you go for. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's boring and scary sometimes because of lots of hell talk. And right. that was terrifying. So that, fun, that part was not fun. Yeah. But that was like activity. You know, that was like the thing you did. Right. You went to church. That was a social activity. Right. That's like where you would see friends at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Wow. Yes. Oh, so did you go to Sunday school as well mm-hmm. and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. What's the difference? Well, like with, with Catholic Church, we had like First Communion. You have all these like things, these milestones Markers. that you yeah. have to reach yeah. in, in your in your piety and in your like belief system. And then when I was 13, you know, you get uh, you get confirmed into the church and that's when you're like an adult. And, and I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to do that. Like, do you guys have milestones like that in Southern Baptist Church or is it just kind of like pretty much just getting baptized? And you do that at an older age? Well, it depends. It yeah. depends on when you get saved. So uh, that's how it works. So when you decide to give your heart to Jesus, yeah. then you're saved. Uh-huh. Then as a symbol of your old self dying and renewal, a new self, born again. That's when you get put in the water? That's when you get put in the water, cleansed. Did you get saved? So, yes, I how did. How old were you? Do you remember 12. it? Twelve. I think I was twelve. Twelve? Yeah. What's that like That was pretty, yeah. I mean, I will be honest. There's a lot of pressure in Southern Baptist churches. I believe it. It's a lot of, like, everybody's doing it. All of a sudden, your friends are, like, dropping, like, into the water. And you're like, oh, shit. Do I, I mean, what's going on? It, it, is God going to choose me? You know, am I going to get saved? Yeah. So. Well, so that's my question. I get, though, that's, that's interesting. They said, is God going to choose me? Because, like, a- as a young Catholic, you would hear about these people praying and God talking to them. And, like, and I'll go, I don't, I don't hear I don't hear this guy talking to me. So was it like that right. for you? I don't know if I'm not trying to like dig deep into your religious or spirituality or whatever. Yeah, no, I think but. that's what it is supposed to be that you in at least in Baptist churches, right. Southern Baptist, you're supposed to hear the call in your heart. And then you if you you respond or you don't respond. Right. And the big worry is when you're Southern Baptist is that if you ignore the call, then he may not call again. So that's one of the, you know, that was like a big, I remember sermons on that was if you hear the call of Jesus and you don't answer, he may not call again. Mm -hmm. Did you you hear the call or did you just (laughs) feel the pressure? Well, I felt the pressure, but then I did feel the call. Yeah. 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 Is it like a big momentous event when you, when you like, 
well, first communion, you know, it's like it's like your childhood prom. Like people go get their pictures taken, you get a nice outfit, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> right, et cetera. Right, right. Is it like that with getting no, saved? Not no? really. Yeah, just in like the background. I mean, I think it is now. Yeah. But then it was a very like well, especially my family. They weren't real demonstrative. So it was very like this is a private matter between you and God. Uh-huh. This isn't about like everybody else. Which, you know, I mean, that should be how it is if you are a spiritual person. Right. It shouldn't be about, like... And was the church diverse as well? No. 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 All white or or more, like... It was mostly white. Yeah. Okay. Is your family the type that talks about who they vote for, or are your parents secretive about who they vote for? They are very secretive. So are mine. Why is the last generation so secretive? I was raised to never talk about who Who you you vote vote for. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. It was some, again, like some personal choice that you made, and no one else needed to know about it. Weird, right? Yeah, it is. Do you talk to your parents these days about politics at all? I did when I was I think you're pretty, like openly political person right like you talk no, no? I, I hate politics really. okay. Okay, my older brother worked in Washington for years really like 10 years yeah well doing what lobbying or something um, fundraising mm. mm-hmm. so lobbying kind of yeah no? yeah, yeah raising money he's yeah. really good at it really yeah salesman very good at it no honestly good at it yeah. like not sleazy like genuinely seems to like really care like mm. he will close down any place he's at talking to people mm-hmm. you know mm. so it's like a gen- he care he loves it mm-hmm. but um yeah i did talk to my parents recently about it but i don't like i just hate it i think it's also motivated by money right i feel like the two parties i mean they just got us in this traffic gridlock well, and we I to- can't move. I totally agree with that. But as as far as like everything that's been going down in the country with race relations, and it's so cyclical because I feel like it really – every 20 years, it's like the reawakening of all the fucking racial scars that the country has left. Yeah. It happened hugely in the 60s and 70s. It happened again in the 90s, and now it's happening again right now. And I mean with – how we make our living, like I said, being guests in this culture, I feel like it is our kind of responsibility to speak out about uh, Black Lives Matter movement and about anti-police brutality and stuff like that. Like, are, do you yeah. do you talk about that sort of stuff on Twitter? I or? agree. I my method is to yeah. retweet Black voices. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like, you know what? What I I what am I gonna say? That you it's know, not our that, experience. yeah, this is not my experience. Right. I know I'm privileged, right? You know, um, I mean, as a woman, that's the only thing I can identify as being in a, in a position of feeling vulnerable right. against, you know, a man or you know, some corrupt cop that wants to somehow do something to me. That's right. scary, but um, yeah. So my my method has been. You know, I read Twitter. Like, when I was at home last week, the only thing I really was doing is scroll through Twitter at night and, you know, just trying to retweet, like, the vo- other voices, people who knew the victims mm-hmm. who personally and who wanted to say, you know, put out the opposite. That's what I think is really important is to say this wasn't just a mugshot, that here's this person 
in their job. Here's this person right. with his child. Here's right. this person. So I really wanted to well, help. Like one of the most important tweets of last week, I feel like, was when they when CNN was putting out like this man is wanted for questioning in the Dallas shootings. Yeah. And then that woman retweet or tweeted out like this is a video of him while the shootings were going on. Like he's right behind us. Right. You know what I mean? And they got like, you know, 40,000 so retweets. Scary. And that's like what stopped him from getting fucking Probably, yeah. like possibly killed. killed you know what i'm saying yeah 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 exactly right like shit like that is so important to retweet yeah i agree yeah i mean it's it, just t- it's it's terrifying because you know i i hate i just the escalation but i mean gosh i i don't i watched you know that 30 for 30 on oj yeah it was great so great yeah. and they showed, uh, I mean, you remember, they showed the beating of Rodney King over yeah, and over. And, right. like, after the second time it came up, I had to turn away. I was, like, crying. I couldn't watch it. And I was like, man, I don't know how we had, this country is not, like, just burned down. Right. Because it's, it, well, that was now, so out-fucking-rageous. Well, and now we're watching. And we're watching it People again. get shot, though. Yeah. Like, Rodney King lived. Right. And the city got burned down. And we're watching people get shot every week. Yeah. It's horrifying and it's so disheartening and so fucking sad. Like, it's just fucked. Yeah. And it feels like it keeps happening and there's nothing. It feels so hopeless because of, like, the like just the history feels so, I don't know, it feels so uh, overpowering or or all-encompassing. Like, those scars, how can they be healed type of shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that that's it. We never have these, you know, open conversations. And this is why, you know, like you were saying, the scar tissue, I don't ever think it's gotten healed. Right. And so what we're dealing with is it rips open. Right. And, you know, seeing these, like, I keep seeing this James Baldwin quote, which I think is so good. And it was Mm -hmm. like, to be black in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Uh I'm that's, I, if I, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not for most black people, right. but I would not be. That well, I would wouldn't be question my, that or doubt that at all. I, I just watching it as a white person, I yeah. feel enraged. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. You know what yeah. is wrong with you? Right. Like, what is wrong? I, I mean, no matter how unstable you are as a police officer, if you feel unstable, get transferred. Right. Like, stop policing communities that you don't have compassion for right you know well i was reading like something about some redditors like cracked open or kind of like internet sleuths basically like found out that one of the dallas officers that that was uh murdered had like a iron cross tattooed on his finger and a bunch of like white supremacy stuff on his facebook and was like an pretty open like white supremacist and and then just on the way here driving on the freeway i see a big ass fucking raised truck with a giant iron cross on the back and like something that said like you may not think violence is the answer but i know violence is the answer some shit like that like on a sticker with a skull and i'm like oh my god i'm like driving next to a white supremacist right now like oh well, and also, I mean, can you imagine the uproar if a black person had that on his truck? Right, right. Like, give me a fucking break, you right. know? Like, what it... Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just, like, out there, but, like, it's somewhat, you know... Yeah, it's crazy. It's dark times, man. Yeah. It's dark But you're times. right, you know? That's part of it. We love the music from yeah. this culture, and 
Well, and I think to an extent, I, I don't, I mean, I never would in normal life refer to myself as an influencer, but you are an influencer. You people, you're in major publications and people read what you write. And so I do think that like for people like you, there is a responsibility, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would I th- never call myself an influencer. But. Right. <laughs> right. Neither. That's but, what I'm saying. You know, but yeah. You, yeah. But you are. People listen to what you, people read your words, you know? So speaking of reading your words, how, when did you start writing? Were you were you always drawn to the English language as a child? Yeah, I mean, I read all the time. I yeah. was like a bookworm, like right. constantly. I got in trouble in school because I'd pull my book out and read, and one of the teacher like turned her back. So that was like big part of my life, and right. I kept. You a were journal. like reading Fifty Shades of Grey, though, which is like <laughs> so inappropriate at that age. Yeah, Prince and Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey. <laughs> yeah. Um, just yeah. a voracious reader as a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I kept a diary journal from second grade. Every day or what? Not every day, but yeah. like I wrote a lot. Really? Yeah. Like how many words would you do at night? I mean, I would write like as many pages as I need to yeah. to express myself, Lee. Right. As a third grader, I had many things to say to my Hello Kitty Dear Diary. Oh, you had a Hello Kitty Dear I Diary? I did have a Hello Kitty Diary. That's cute. Uh, that's funny. I got my first diary in third grade, too. And you know what I used to write in there? What? Raps. Really? Yeah, like, oh, man, summer's <laughs> off, sitting by a pool. Wish I was at school. You like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually liked school as a kid, so I'd write about, I'd write raps about how I wished I was back really? at school. Really? Yeah. Why did you like school so much? I like learning, man. And like, like I lived in the sticks, so like girls were at school, right? You know right, what I mean. Right. Girls were not in my driveway in North Pole, which is where I was stuck most of the time as a third grader. Uh, That's really true. Yeah, I remember when school was out. There was this sense of like, oh, I can't see my crush every day. Right, it's boring. Like summer. Like yeah. I looked forward to like you know fifth period or something like yeah. in high school because I had chorus and that was where my crush was. Right. What There's did you? There's a get- reason to like you know be alive right totally totally like in the summer all i had to look forward to was pretty much like sports yeah uh, right what, With a bunch what, of dudes yeah what would you do in the summers did you guys have like swimming holes we <laughs> had well a country club <laughs> oh, like, no, I wasn't that fancy like yeah. that. But no, we went to the pool. Yeah. If my mom would take us. Right. You know, if she wasn't too tired. Yeah. So you say you were a drama kid too? Yeah, I did theater. Like how, what's at, what age did you start that? High school? In junior high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What plays did you, were you like a lead? Were you the lead actress? I was a yeah. lead actress. Yes. Were you, is that like, I was. were you like young Anna like Kendrick? <laughs> I, you know, for a long time I thought I was going to be an actress. Yeah. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have that kind of charming actress swag to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Did you do that in college? Did you stay in Tennessee for college? No, I went to Mississippi. To Mississippi. Yeah. People from the South, they only say one set of those S's. Miss- You're right, we do. You can tell people, like, you can tell people from That's the South because they so say... so funny. How would you say it? Mississippi. But you guys say Mississippi. My Mississippi, we I would say You're Mississippi. Right. Mississippi, I can Mississippi. My that best friend from jungle. back home, shout out Sean. Uh, he he was born in Mississippi and moved to Alaska, and he would every story we would always clown him as a kid because every story he would start was like, "Man, back in Mississippi." <laughs> <laughs> And so to this day, I always go, man, back in Mississippi. Yeah. My parents have a cat now called Mississippi. Mississippi. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. M-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. That's how you guys would say it. Uh-huh. Uh, That's true. That's yeah. exactly right. So you acted in college, too. Mm-hmm. Was that going to be, was theater your major? Yeah. It, did, you, did you graduate with a theater degree? Yes, I did. Then how do you start, is that why you moved to L.A.? 
No, that okay. is not why I moved to LA. I started well. Okay, I got pretty disenchanted with acting, uh-huh. like pretty fast. Why? Because I just realized it was all about. It was so. Um, it seemed hopeless to me because it was just like a billion girls who looked like me, and it was just who that person behind you know with the power like that day. Mm-hmm. So it just felt disheartening, and I was you know what, 22 or something, and working in a restaurant with this dude who was 35, who was an actor. In Mississippi? No, this was in Chicago. Oh. And he was, like, working at, just picked up the restaurant job on the, all, you know, and I was just like, whoa. This is what life That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, okay, bye, I'm out. Right. And so I randomly just started writing for, like, an alt-weekly, uh-huh. and that's how it all started. Okay, so f- so you graduate high school in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you do good in high school? Were you like valedictorian? Salute. Valedictorian. Were you really? Yes, I was. Hey, congrats! <laughs> I'll applaud to that. Yeah, what, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, did you get like a f- uh, academic scholarship? In I Miss- did. Fuck yeah. yeah. Hey, me too. I got an academic scholarship to the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Holler. We're smart. Uh-huh. Um, kids, stay in school if you're listening. That's right. No, I'm just <laughs> So you go to Mississippi and lived on campus or lived in apartments? What did you do? Apartment. Yeah, I lived in a dorm and then I lived in apartments. And how did you like the college experience? Did you live it up? I loved it. Were you drinking and partying and having a good time? Yeah, but not till – so I was really good in high school. Yeah. And then I got to college and it was like – I'm out here. What's up, Boone's Farm? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first thing I got drunk on. And then I just – it was a wrap. I was party girl of – college were you yes absolutely uh did you like was, was like a lot of school spirit did you go to like football games no or hell no, no fuck that Mm-mm. oh wow i was like not that girl yeah no i was in a sorority for like a year and i was like get me out of this thing really yeah i was like this is a prison i couldn't i can't i never could fuck with like the greek system oh my Just gosh not no for me. yeah i turned really hardcore against it mm-hmm. and then i was like you know I was on my theater swag, you know, mm-hmm. like going to theater parties, everybody's smoking weed, drinking like bananas. We were playing rap, you mm-hmm. know, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I was just like a huge party girl college. Uh, my mom never hears this. I'm going to email your mom. <laughs> so, I'll do it. I'm going to tell her that you dressed up, though. I'm going to be like, look, good. she was talking all this shit, but she looked like a good Southern uh, belle. That's right. So when you graduate from college, you move to Chicago to pursue the theater. Why Chicago? Why not L.A. or New York? I don't know. I wanted to be different. I was just young and dumb. Does Ch- Chicago, does it have a big theater scene? I mean, I know they have yeah. like a bro- uh, improv scene. Or- They've got a good improv scene. I was yeah. not good at improv, but um, I went shocking. To my f- I went to my first improv show over the weekend with Romo. Uh-huh. Dude, they love comedy. No, Romo Adam loves improv. Romo. Well, Adam and I go Adam and I go to stand-up together all the time. And okay. so Romo's like, you got to come to an improv show with me. Adam and I are like stand-up snobs. Okay. And I went to an improv show and it was so yeah, that's the thing. It was so bad. Oh, man. <laughs> there is nothing worse than bad theater. So you, it, it felt like I was watching a bad acting class. Oh. Yeah. That's rough. So did you try, did you do like the Second City thing? No. No. I never tried improv. Okay. I was just moving there and I was like, I'm going to act in plays. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody there. I just like was trying to be different. Oh, a bunch of my friends were in New York and I was like, no, I'm going to go to Chicago. I don't even know. 
I cannot. I don't remember where my. I should go back and read my journals and see where my head was at. Uh-huh. But it did not work out. Needless. How to say. long did you make it there? I was there a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. Was that your first time living through like real winters? Yep. And how was that? Terrible. Really? Yeah. I know a lot of people love Chicago, but I'm. Mm-mm. It wasn't for you. No, not for me. Did you live in like the big city part or in one of the yeah. suburbs or something? I lived in the big city part. Yeah. I didn't have a car. I loved taking the bus because I could read on the bus. Did you have any support system out there? Did you know anyone in Chicago? Or you just moved out as a loner? No, I didn't know anybody. Just yeah. moved. Did you make any friends? Yeah, I yeah. made friends. You're a friendly person. I feel like, yeah. I like I told you, uh, or like I, have, I don't know why I'm saying like I told you you were there, but I met you like as <laughs> soon as you got out of the yeah. car in L.A. I feel like you were just yeah. instantly already in the L.A. hip hop scene as soon as you got here, yeah. and already making friends and just like intermingling with people. So, so that was very fortunate. Was it like that in Chicago, or did it take you longer? Mm, not as much. People didn't fuck with me there. Really? Mm-mm. Why? I don't know. It was definitely, it was just like the city was like, you should leave. Mm. Like the minute I rolled in, they were like, go ahead and go back home. Wow. No agent or anything? Did you Mm -mm. get an agent? Mm -mm. How many, uh, how many like auditions did you go to for plays? I don't even know. Maybe five. That's it? Yeah. Oh, so you fucking hated Chicago a lot. I really didn't like it. But you got a job at an alt weekly, you said? Mm Mm-hmm. Writing about what? Theater. Oh, writing about theater. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so you would go to plays for free? Yeah. And then just review them or what? Yeah. I did that out here too. I know, well, I like a lot. I was going to get there mm-hmm. cuz I when I first saw that you got the job doing the theater reviews for LA for LA Weekly, right? Yeah. I went, that's weird. Why is she doing theater? She should be doing music. Right, right. She knows right, so much right. about music. Why is she doing theater? And yeah. now I'm putting the pieces together like, oh, yeah, like you were a theater yeah. major. That makes sense. I had no idea. I thought you were just like trying to get in. I thought you were in. just trying to get in wherever, yeah, right, basically. Right. I didn't realize that that was where your background was. Mm-hmm. How does it work when you first start writing for an alt weekly? Are they paying you by the piece or by the word? Is it like. By the piece. And so is it like shit money or was it, or were you yeah. like, oh my God, they just pay me so much to do this? No. No, I mean, I don't even know how much, what was it, $50 or something? Wow. For a review? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like really two nights work because you have to like spend one night watching the play and then another night writing the piece. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's $25 a day. That's pretty shit. Mm Mm-hmm. How did you live? Well, I was bartending. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working in restaurants. Right. Um, Which I love and I wish I could still do. Why don't you? I don't know. I don't know if I have time. LA's so competitive. They're like hiring like terrible servers and bartenders just because they're like pretty. Yeah. I like have real skills. Yeah. I mean, I never. As a bra- bartender? Not, or I don't as a brag server. on myself much, but right. I'm a great bartender. I mean, I feel like if you could find like a. You got to find like a southern dive bar here that you would fit right in yeah. and kill it. Man, I want to try to get on a drawing room. Where's that at? Over on Hillhurst. Okay. I don't know. So it's a great dive bar. It's got a great jukebox. Nice. I, you know, I bartend warehouse parties because it's fucking easy money, fun money. It's easy, fun money. And actually probably like a quarter of these podcast episodes have directly been because I like met people at the, at the parties. I'm like, you gotta come do my show. And they're like, oh, all right. And I give them free beers and then, and then that works. How long was it until you moved from Chicago and where did you go? I moved to Louisville, Kentucky because my boyfriend at the time was moving there to go to college. So I moved there uh-huh. and I bartended. And then in 09, I got a fellowship with the NEA 
What's that? It's um, it's the National Endowment, National Endowment for the Arts. Arts. Okay. Yeah. So I got a fellowship. I applied for it, and I came out here for a week. What does a fellowship do? What is that like? They just pay for you everything. So they fly you out here. They pay for you know your hotel. They pay for your meals. They pay for your entertainment, and you just do whatever it is that you're you got the fellowship for. In my case, it was writing about theater. So we came out here. We saw a bunch of shows. We heard like you know critics talk. What did you see? Wicked. We, no, we never. <laughs> That's the only theater I know. We saw some good stuff. Like, you know, went to the Geffen, went oh, to yeah. like Mark Taper Forum. Went you to came it. out with your boyfriend? No, I, want, I got the fellowship by myself. So. And so how did you even find out about the fellowship? You, you like Somebody at the Alt Weekly told me about it. They had she Maybe my editor had done it, and she mm-hmm. was like, you should apply for this. Yeah, and so it's a I very did. formal application. Like, are there like a bunch of steps to go through, or is it pretty easy? It's like college application, you know? Yeah. you got to sing clips. you got to write a little essay. Uh-huh. you got to, like, you know, get a rec- couple – man, it was kind of hard. Yeah. A couple letters of recommendation – it wasn't just like, hey, here's my, right. here I am. Let it me wasn't tell like him. filling in your LinkedIn page. Yeah, right. Also, was that like the momentous occasion that changed your life and made you end up here? Yeah. Oh, so this that is like, it. this is the catalyst moment. We're getting to it. the juice of the yes, story. That's it. So you moved out here and who, and you just came by yourself, but did you have people huh? out here that, that like nobody? Nope. What did you do? Where'd you stay? Well, I rented an apartment online. Uh huh. So my little brother and my mom and I drove out we stopped the Grand Canyon Oh. and then we ended up. I, you know, I got here, moved into my place, and then I started grad school at USC. So that was the... Wait, so, oh, wait, time out. So you, uh, the fellowship was a week though, right? Like 10 days. Ten, yeah. But you flew out here by yourself for the fellowship. Yeah. And then did you have to write about stuff and give yeah. it back to the NEA? Uh-huh. And, and, yeah. but, so that was a success though. Mm-hmm. And so then you get back to Louisville and you're like, yo, boyfriend... I met my new boyfriend or what? Like, did you just leave him in Louisville? Well, yeah. He had encouraged me, though. He was oh. like, you should be doing writing. You shouldn't be bartending. Right. He was like, you should go to grad school. You w- should do it. Right. Why does Kentucky feel like the South, but it's right next to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati feels like the Midwest? So weird, right? They're like a half hour away from each other. Yeah, it's a weird place. It's yeah. like not really the Midwest, not really the South. So you get back to Louisville, and he's like, "You should be, you should go to grad school." And you should ha- be a writer. Had you are, had you already applied to yeah. grad school and, yeah. and got accepted to USC? Okay. Yeah. Why? And you picked USC just because you visited for a week, or what? no? I had applied to USC and NYU. Okay. And when I came out for the fellowship, I just knew I was like, man, I never had considered LA, but I was like, this is the place. Really. Yeah, I loved it. I just fell in love. Right. And so mom and brother come meet you mm-hmm. and you guys drive out. And then did you move in? Did you move like to that part of town by USC? Or no. where'd you stay at? Los Feliz. Oh. That, so Randomly you're in the same place? Fixed. Yeah. Oh, you're such a, <laughs> what a natural hipster. Like you just killed it. <laughs> That's why I hate all this gentrification. Yeah. I miss my old stuff. Right. I just miss my old stuff. I miss my Ralph's. Yeah. There used to be like a Chinese place and a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Baskin Robbins, and now it's a 365 Whole Foods yeah. and a Food Emoticons by Chloe and a Wells Fargo. It's so different, and I don't like it. Well, shout out to Wells Fargo because they do handle my banking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I do go to Ralph's, but today, before I went to the beach, I went to Ralph's, and I got like a turkey wrap, and I'm pretty sure that it fucked my stomach up. Oh, no. I don't know if it was the Ralph's or the Whole Foods that I ate at later. 
<laughs> oh, God, you equal opportunity. It was one or the there other. Oh, both of those are like upper middle class. One is more like uh, one is more upper. One's more just middle. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Sociologically speaking. Um, and so, yeah, you get here in 09. And like, did you uh, the way that I met you was through Marguerite, I think. Yeah. Was that like the first person you met out here or something? Or what was that? No, I met her randomly. I can't even remember how we met, but it was it was pretty much like a bump into each other. Yeah. And maybe she, somebody said, oh, you guys should know, you know Marguerite? And I was like, no. She was like, oh, Rebecca like loves rap. You guys should like talk. Was it at a rap show or was, was it, it somewhere else? It was just at USC. Oh, like at USC. Campus. Oh, yeah. on campus. Yeah, just randomly like bumping into each other. Because really. Marguerite is someone that I would see all the time in LA uh, filming every yep. like rap show, every underground rap show. She was just there filming like yeah. some kind of documentary or another or like some kind of piece for somebody. Yep. It was just like a hired gun. She's still, still Marguerite. Right, you know? right. And so you guys just clicked. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, um, did you, and then, like, how did you feel about the LA the rap scene when you got here? I mean, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to everything I could. School became totally secondary. I was like, what? It was so, I mean, you know what it was like at that time. Before Odd Future, before Kendrick, TDE. Before all, before YG, before everything that's kind of popping now, right? All that that wasn't here, you know. So right. I felt like we, it was a really fun time to be here. Well, at that time, West LA's rap scene seemed to be really popping, and part of that was like Verbs, and part of that was um, oh god, I'm fl- I'm spacing on his name, DJ uh, his, Verbs DJ, homie that used to run the spliff too. You know who he is? He's like a close friend of yours. Val, yeah, Val, Val the Vandal. Vandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Val, I'm sorry. Shout yeah. out Val the Vandal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like those two are like really cat, like. Um, yeah, they were like book and pack. Div. Yeah, they were mavens of the West Side scene, mm-hmm. and, and so at the Spliff, you had this like really interesting mixture of like people coming from South LA and people coming from Westchester. Uh, Verbs used to refer to them as the smart black nerds or the cool black nerds. He would say, and so you would have like these fucking clicks from farther south coming up to the Spliff, and and YG would be there sometimes or like yeah. Ty Dolla Sign, mm-hmm. and then and then you would have all the Westchester like jerk jerker kids coming through, and then yeah, Pack Div, yeah, you Pink and Dallas. I. Yeah. yeah, you and I were huge then. That was such a cool scene in like mm-hmm. 09. It was so innocent looking back. It really was. Right. And w- were you, you were just fucking with that? Did you love it or what? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I like downloaded everything. I went, I mean, back then it was, you know, wasn't like it is now. Right. So there were like, you know, what was that musical? There was a site called Digital Dripped I used to go to and just uh-huh. like download anything. Right. Just to get my hands on like, you know. Everything those guys put out, of course. Right. Like Church League Champions, I still think Pac-Div was great. They just, right. I don't know what happened, but Major labels probably yeah. or something. I, I feel everybody gets tied up once they get signed, I feel like. They were tight. Yeah, Pac-Div was great. Yeah. Uh, nice fellas, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought when Mare came out that like it was going to be a, a real smash. Yes. Like, that was a good, that was a big sounding song. But Yes, yeah. 100%. Uh, when you say school became secondary, what do you mean? Like, did you stick with it? Did you get Yeah, I definitely stuck with it, but it was just like, I realized the important thing was to immerse myself, you know? And was it more, were you, what were you doing your grad school or like? Journalism. It was journalism. Like arts journalism. Okay. For like MFA? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You you don't have a PhD? No, I do not have a doctorate. I would be making you call me Dr. Haithcote if I did. Which would be pretty sick. (laughs) Um... 
So you got your MFA. How long did it take? How long does that take? It did. Well, I went to a program that was only like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So I just had to write my thesis and be. And that's that it. it. What did mm-hmm. you write your thesis on? Rap. What, what, what was like the specific topic? Of it rap? was talking about the revival of like West Coast rap. Really? Yeah. And who, what were the artists that you were talking about? Was it that All that those scene? guys. That scene. That's yeah. crazy. That's pretty tight. Yeah. Did I get mentioned in it? Weird. Since you did yeah. my bio? No. I'm sure you did. So dope. I want to read your thesis now. Uh, the last scene of my um, thesis was, if I recall correctly, yeah. was about um, that night at the Roxy in 2010, August, when Kendrick performed. Right. And it was like shattering to me yeah and that was the time i was like i'm gonna write about that kid for la weekly yeah. i like barely wrote for la weekly but i was right. like i'm gonna write about a profile on him it's so funny how small the la scene is because like to put it in perspective or context for people there was a time when uh no can went on tour with merce one summer uh for like 20 dates or something and the final la show uh james had been direct support the whole tour right and then for the la show at house of blues um he got bumped back a slot and kendrick was like black Mm -hmm. hippie was gonna be main support or direct direct support and i i was like featured on two songs in james's sets i was like man this is fucking bullshit like who (laughs) like how come you're not direct support who are these people that merce is putting on who like who the fuck's heard of kendrick lamar (laughs) and absol and schoolboy q who are these people and and then i watched and and we're and we're sitting back going like look none none of these people (laughs) none of the crowd even knows the words to any of this shit and that was in like oh nine probably and then now here we are seven years later and they're like yeah. one of the biggest crews but that's just like yeah. what LA, la was such a hater scene back then or maybe it was just us maybe that's why we like <laughs> fal- faltered into obscurity who knows <laughs> but i always remember looking back at the show of like oh yeah we got bumped for kendrick that's pretty cool that's that is good, cool good problem to have yeah uh how did you start getting linked up with la weekly during my fellowship yeah. the theater critic there had he and I had like connected and so he was like when you move to town call me we'll get a cup of coffee you know chat whatever I didn't but then the big top of the year 2010 we happened to see each other at the same play Uh and he was like oh are you would you be interested he was like what are you doing I was talking to him you know about writing whatever and then like a week later he kept called me and he was like hey one of my critics fell out could you go see a show tomorrow night for me? Uh-huh. And that's how that started. And, and how long did you do theater reviews for that? Man, like years. Really? Until 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no shit. But then did you start also covering music for them as yeah, well? Yeah, 2000. Well, I started covering music in 2010. Oh, at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like six months later. Have you ever felt like, in hindsight... Do you feel like you had a big break moment where you're like, oh, this is the mo- this is the moment? And, and probably even though in, in the grand scheme, nothing ever feels like a big break. Like yeah. It always feels like you're just still leading a normal life. Yeah. But did you ever have a moment where you're like, oh, shit, mama, we made it? The only time I felt like that yeah. was I remember being super proud. The first print feature I got for LA Weekly, yeah. which was end of 2010. Uh-huh. Yeah, end of 2010. It was on Currency, one of my favorites forever. Gonna, that was another one that I meant to say. Like I remember when everybody mm-hmm. else was on one thing, you were on Currency, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved Spitta. Yeah, and I had to chase him down to get that interview. Like he, I got assigned the piece, 
And then next thing I know, I'm hitting up his manager, and the next thing you know, he's on a plane to Amsterdam. Oh, shit. And we all know about his appetite, so I was like, I'm never going to get this interview. Right. So that was like a hard one. Well, how'd you get it? I just called and called, and finally it was like, I don't know, four in the morning for him. And answered him? Yeah, and finally we got on the phone, and we talked and talked, and he was like, and it was funny because we talked for like an hour, and I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll let you go. And he was like wanting to keep chatting. Because we were talking about the South and, like, you know, and I, it was great. Yeah. But I was just, he was like, we don't have to get off the phone. And I was just in my head thinking, uh, this piece is due tomorrow, and it is really, I've got to make sure this thing is good. Right. So, yeah, it's funny. But do you find that you have that experience with people a lot uh, as far as, well, from my own personal experience, just talking to you, and even, I mean, I always talk on my podcast, but even now, like sometimes you'll finish a sentence and I'm like, oh, this, this she's inviting me to talk now. <laughs> like you're so good That's at getting, good. I hope so. you're getting so, you're so good at getting people to talk to you. Like, do you get a lot of artists going like, wow, this was so nice. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. I yeah. do. I mean, I think, you know, I think generally what people say to me is this felt like a conversation, not an interview. Right. Like it never felt like you were asking me questions. I right. felt like we were just talking. That's what I so. always try to do with these. And I always yeah. think back to like the fucking journalism date from, from uh, this bright spot. And I'm like, <laughs> got to take a page out of Rebecca Haithcote's book. I'm glad. Yeah. You're doing it. This is great. I try. I, this is this is one where I'm talking a lot more than usual probably, but that's okay. Um, that's probably me too because I prefer – for the other, you know, I know you're not used to being the one like no, spilling, spilling no, the no, beans no. at all. Never. Probably. Um, when did you feel like you were starting to gain more? Tr- I, do you write more about music now than theater? Oh yeah. Okay. I haven't so written when about did, theater since yeah, 13. end of 2012. When do you when do you feel like you started gaining, or how do you feel like you started gaining more traction in the music world? Because now I see you popping up pretty much. You're like in every major music publication at this point. No, like Fader, well, Pitchfork. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, there's always billboard, I have or no, goals. spin yeah. billboard. Yeah, right. I'm yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah, you're all over the place. Well, and it's so and it's and I told you, I've told you this via text before that it's like so cool to have seen your path sure. along the way since yeah. I got to like I was lucky enough to cross paths with you like right when you got to the city and like oh she's like this gal that just has a passion for underground rap music and now you're like yeah. and then I was like oh shit she got the fucking YG spin story it was a spin yeah 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 yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm like it seems like uh, in a sense your dreams seem to be coming true yeah yeah right i mean you when you put sit- it this yeah. way it's i feel very fortunate right so thank you for sometimes you gotta me. like sit back and look at things in perspective yeah you know? you're right yeah yeah because when you're in the thick of it sometimes you're just like man it's never you know you're just like constantly like thinking when's it gonna happen right. or what's gonna happen i need to get in this pub i need to get in the, i need to do this or right you it- know but in your life, it's probably like it's constantly 2 a.m. and you've got a cup of coffee and you're trying to finish a, a fucking article and you're like, when's it going to not be this or something? Yeah, but like, that's pretty true. But like, I'm that's, a night writer. But like so, that's yeah. success. You know what I mean? Like you're you're getting to live your dream, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Yeah. That's good. When, what a great reminder. Yeah. I try, to, I try yeah. to do that to people. Like I try to remind them like, hey, you're, you're doing like truth it. in them. I do it really to project onto my side. I go like, you got to remember, Lee, you don't have a fucking job. Like, you're doing all right. <laughs> right. I know yeah. it didn't work out for you in your head, but you're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, you're right. Right. What uh, What is the next big dream for you? Hmm. 
I've never been a big planner. Like, I never was one of those people who had, like, a five-year plan or mm-hmm. ten-year plan. I I think this is probably what, as far as, like, being a journalist, a music journalist, too, is what keeps it, it keeps me going, is that I'm always more interested in what's going to happen than what has happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm always about, like, you know, well, what what's about, what about tomorrow? But I like not knowing you know, mm-hmm. because it, I could never have planned out what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I could never have planned out moving here and having success as a writing about rap music. Never dreamed that. Right. You know? It seems like a lot of people f- just fall. When you fall into something, it almost seems to kind of. Yeah, right? I agree. Right. I've said that before. Like you have these actors who slave away. Yeah. And then there's somebody who was like, I never really want to be an actor. And right. they're like, you know, right. Leo Di- you know, Caprio or something like well, and even in this city, it seems to kind of, similar to your Chicago experience, a lot of people in L.A. seem to get chewed up and spit out by the city. And it seems to be the ones that come with the wrong intentions. If you come to L.A. and you go, man, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to like live by the beach and learn to surf and fucking be California. And it's like, nah, man, the people that make it here from out of town or that actually stick around are the ones that just like oops i ended up in la yeah i never dreamed of living it i didn't mean to live here and it's just like now that i'm here i fucking love it so much yeah same and i hear people that come and go like oh yeah i fucking hate la it's so it's like douchey and there's too much traffic and i'm like you're just doing la wrong exactly i think if you move here and you just live yeah then you get it you know and you meet like uh, angelinos are the chillest to me i love angelinos like natives they're just usually so down to earth. They're so like I mean, they love like low rider. It reminds me of the South, honestly. Right. Like they're generally nice. They like low yeah, riders and rap music. It's such a huge misconception cool. about Angelinos is like that they're rude, but they're not. They're not. Like you're meeting people who moved here. People mistake LA for Hollywood. Totally. And, like Hollywood is the part of LA that Angelinos avoid. Yeah, exactly. You know. Like, why would you go? I mean, right. I went to Playhouse like three times my whole life. Yeah. And it's not I, the move. I know. It's so unfortunate that you have that giant Playhouse tattoo now just from one <laughs> drunken night. It really is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any big pieces coming up that you're excited about? Mm, I can't think. I have some. I have. Um, I want to. I have a piece that I'm maybe going to do about home. Yeah. That has nothing to do with music. Right. But um, it's a crazy story. Nice. So if it gets told, if I can tell it, right. it will be a big deal to me. So the reason that I have music journalists on the show every once in a while, other than the fact that like I, I the ones that I have on the show I like as people, um, is because I try to use this show to like let people know that there are ways to like make a living in music if you love music, and, totally. and you're an example of that, and so the last cliche question I'm going to ask you is like, if you had advice to give to an aspiring, whether it be an aspiring musician or an aspiring, just somebody who wants to live in the creative realm, but specifically someone that wants to like work in music journalism, what advice would you give to them? You know, I think what I did is probably the way, I mean, that's how I would advise. I always tell people, get away, get out from behind your computer. Just get out. Like, 
I would never have met any anything that hap- has happened to me would not have happened if I had just sat at home watching YouTube and digging for music. Like, I get that there are people where that it, that's good, you know, that's their role and that's their right. lane, and they stay in it and right. they like find cool shit on YouTube and new people, whatever. But I none of this would have happened for me if I hadn't just gone out and gone to shows and been comfortable being alone. I think that's important. I think people get scared to do things by themselves. But I didn't know anybody. Every I just had to go to a show I, by myself. Absolutely. Every fucking you know? connection I've made in the city is from like going to a show alone. Yeah. Yeah. You in I mean invariably you're going to talk to somebody. Right. And they're going to see that you're alone and be like, "Oh, well, what are you doing alone? And the next right. thing you know, you find out they're a photographer. You find out they're an, you know, a rapper. You find out they're a whatever. Right. And the next thing you know, you know, you have a connection. Yeah. And you're not doing that like cheesy, like let's link, you know? Right. Which I would never say. My Don't life. ever be a let's link person. That's like, that's good advice. Don't ever be a let's link person. Never. Yeah. Just make you know, just be open in yourself and get out, immerse yourself and yeah. the stuff. And if you love it, you know, and you're. And then when you're ready, if you're ready, that's the other thing I would say. I always say yes. That has gotten me into a lot of trouble. Lead with yes. But I always say yes. Yeah. Because I would rather have the experience and regret it than not have the experience and regret not having it, you know? Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Have you always been so comfortable in your skin or did you have to learn it over time? I had to learn it. Yeah. 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 I'm way more comfortable now. Than as opposed to what? Than I was. I was pretty comfortable as a teenager, but then... You know, I had a brief, I had a period in my twenties when I was like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, dude, I'm I think so I think that's like a real uh, a takeaway from a person like you is just like you, you seem so genuine because you do really seem comfortable in your skin, and I think that's uh, that will also take you very far in whatever whatever journey or destination you're you're trying to take in life. Just be comfortable with yourself, man. Yeah, yeah. I do. You know, that's another thing. Yeah. Was, it just, you made me think. Yeah. I probably am a person who stands back a little and watches before I, you know, just barrel in. Right. And I get if that works for some people, it works for you. But I've always found it more, you know, yeah, don't you don't have to like go in and like start telling everybody what you do. Bang on your chest. Well, that's what I and that's what I mean when I talk about the hubris of most music journalists these days. They walk in and go, oh, well, you're not familiar with this. Let right. me tell you about this culture that I fucking yeah. just learned about from Wikipedia. <laughs> right. I fucking, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like, yeah, I just that's not my that's not my style. For sure. Well, Rebecca, I think we did it. Thanks. I think we did it. That was awesome. Good. I'm glad that you had fun. I had fun. Um, Where can the people find you online? Well, my Twitter is really weird. Why? It's just the first initial of my name and R. Hathcote. I should probably change that. It looks like Wraithcote. Wraithcote. It does look like Wraithcote. It's R-H-A-I-T-T. Oh, I-T-H-C-O-A-T. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I spelled it I mean, if you look Rebecca Hathcote, you can find it. Yeah, you can Google. I'm the only Rebecca Hathcote. Rebecca Hathcote and find her on Twitter. And then you can find, I mean, if you Google her, you'll be able to find so many uh, articles that she has written, uh, including like a recent favorite of mine is the Spin YG. So uh, the YG article, that's a good one. And Still Brazy amazing record so go peep so that shit good. yeah fuck donald trump i just roll around listening to fuck donald trump all the time not even my favorite song on the album i just want everyone to know that like yeah fuck donald that's trump. what you do yeah. mine is i wanted to get kamaya on the show so bad when i first heard her tape i love her tape yeah it's great and like she responded to a tweet i'm like yo 
are you in LA? And she's like, yeah, what's up? And I like <laughs> tweeted her. I'm like, I'm going to DM you. And then like the next week she was like signed to faux hunted and right. had the, and I heard, there was rumors of a Drake collab. And then that's what it was. The, yeah. You know, sometimes I just got to ask YG if he hit it. All right. <laughs> no, <I was> <laughs> anyway, so follow Rebecca on Twitter at our Hathcote. Um, look for her articles and thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to be your friend over the years. You are a delightful seven person. Seven years long. So crazy. Love it's our it. seven year anniversary. It really? No, it good. is. No, it's not. Well, Wait, not I, I don't exactly. know what I, I don't know what month we met. Um, yeah, anyhow. Uh, yeah, go follow her. And this is the part where it gets awkward because I'm going to like do all my social media stuff. So you can either take headphones on or you can leave me here. All right. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at it's intuition. Follow my man, Ben Shin behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery at I am database based with two S's. Follow us as a unit at kind of neat youtube.com slash kind of neat where we just broke 15 million views. Thank you guys so much for tuning into all the videos. It's amazing. The last few that we've put up for some reason are really uh, doing great. Tommy Genesis already hit hundred K K Flay is on her way there. Anna wise is on her way there and ghost mains video is already doing amazing too. So thank you guys for keeping the YouTube channel booming. We appreciate it. That being said to help keep the lights on because YouTube are a bunch of suckers and they don't pay like they used to pay. Uh, you can go to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash kind of neat. And if you are a weekly viewer and this is part of your routine, then please just donate a couple bucks. Like all right, you pledge, you pledge like a dollar an episode. The most episodes that we do per month is only four. So the most money that you'll ever spend is $4 per month. I know all y'all motherfuckers got Netflix accounts and you probably don't pay for them because it's from your ex. So you might as well just like use that money that you pay for Netflix to just pledge to kind of neat because we're broke, bruh. Just help us. I don't know why. You, there's no reason other than you should just be a nice person and do that. Um, don't forget to go to the podcast app. Download the podcast app. Search for Kind of Neat and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating on there. And also tell us who you want to see on the show. I have been posting the podcast to YouTube nowadays. And on YouTube, you know motherfuckers are a bunch of haters. People are <laughs> haters on YouTube and they just want to comment negativity. So if you're listening to the podcast on YouTube right now, Leave a nice comment if you liked it. Don't tell me that I talk too much. I know that I talk too much. Don't tell people that I'm a fucking... Somebody called me a cuck. Don't call me a cuck. Just, like, comment on there and say, Hey, man, thank you for what you do. I appreciate that shit. Uh, <laughs> I, I rant. Uh, what else? That's it, I think. My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. And this is my friend, Rebecca Haithcote, who is a great writer. And you should go check her out. And this was kind of neat. <laughs> Love the ending rant. What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. This is a friendly reminder that I'm going to start throwing in at the beginning of these that I don't care if you fast forward through this part. I talk about myself and my life for about 15 to 20 minutes right now, and the way to scroll through or scrub through is to fast forward and listen when you hear a beat. There's an eight-bar beat. That's when you know the podcast and the interview is about to start. So you can skip this part if you want. Because I'm tired of you motherfuckers on YouTube talking shit. I'm tired of y'all motherfuckers talking shit. I'm also, you know what? I'm a little sad that you other motherfuckers that do listen don't come in and defend your boy. Uh, you need to defend little Lee at all costs. Team kind of neat. Team KN. Hashtag that shit. No, I'm just kidding. Don't hashtag it. Uh, that's the end of that rant. I get it. 
you guys that uh, listen to this on YouTube are tourists. You are podcast tourists, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, let me do my thing. <laughs> let me do my thing. Oh, don't forget that you can go to patreon.com slash kind of neat and donate or pledge a dollar per episode to keep the lights on around here at the Cosmic Zoo. We just got a new SSL. Shout out to Daddy Kev. The zoo is looking so beautiful. It can, if you guys are ever in Los Angeles, we can take care of all your recording needs and necessities. It is a fully operational and functional, beautiful studio. So yeah, last week, like I mentioned, uh, was my birthday, turned 35, shout out to being 35, officially 100% mid-30s, fuck man, that's crazy, I'm so old, oh my god, but I had a really dope birthday week because as you guys know from the tight 10 that I did about tacos on the K-Flay episode, I love food, I love eating so much. I just love food. And there are so many fucking restaurants that I've wanted to eat at in LA. And I don't really get to eat like nice, fancy food that frequently because a lot of the time I'm just like, you know, alone. (laughs) I'm alone. So, oh my God, I'm so alone all the time. No, but I'm usually like just alone and go eat by myself. But for my birthday week, I have mad different friends that met up with me for birthday dinners and so i got to eat an animal which was great i ate an animal shout out to avocado and my homie celine who actually gets brought up in this episode as well they went to animal with me and it was delightful uh i ate at a place called cannibal um which is a new spot in culver city great vegetables i don't know like the mains didn't really do it for me maybe but i i liked uh i liked their their veggies and salads very, very much Cannibal and Culver City. I also told you guys about Cannibal already because they opened a deli that I thought was overpriced. So this was actually the restaurant, not the deli part. Uh, and then I went to Inc., which was like one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. I've been debating on whether or not I should talk about the entire meal dish by dish. Uh, as an intro, but I think that I just right now decided against it. Let me just say that, like, shout out Michael Voltaggio. I'm a Top Chef motherfucking fanatic. The season that he won on Top Chef was the most competitive season with, I think, not even arguably, but, like, objectively, the biggest talent pool uh, on Top Chef was the season that he won. And so when he won that season, he opened up Inc. on uh, Melrose, but, like, the more, you know, the more, like, hoity-toity side of Melrose, like the Beverly Hills side of Melrose. And, man, what a fucking great meal. What a great menu. What a good staff. If you if this gets back to you, if the fact that I'm like plugging your restaurant this hard on a podcast that got like at least a hundred people that listen to it, if it gets back to you, Michael Voltaggio, just email me, bro. Give me a free meal. I'll eat there again. Uh, no, no worries. I'll eat there again. It was fucking amazing. If uh, if you guys ever like have some money and a and a occasion, go eat at Ink. And then on the uh, last. On my actual official birthday, I thought I was supposed to be out working on a job, but it got canceled, so I was in L.A. on my actual birthday of the 8th, and I ate at Broken Spanish, which is delightful gourmet Mexican food, like high-end gourmet Mexican food, which I guess some people would say that sounds like an oxymoron. I generally would say that too, like, cause I prefer, like, you heard my tight 10 about tacos. I like that shit gutter. I like it from the streets, from a taco truck, but I will say that this is like 
Broken Spanish downtown also an amazing meal. Yeah, so I got to eat a lot of good food this week and it was it was really heavenly for me because like I said, I love food, but don't ever call me a foodie because I think that shit is stupid as fuck. I hate the word foodie and I hate people that call themselves foodies. And my whole thing is I just I'm just like an obese person hidden in a mildly in shapes person's body. And that's why I like food. Not because I'm like, oh, tell me about these organic ingredients. Tell me about this farm to table experience that I'm eating. No, I just like shit to taste good. This week on the show we have my friend Rebecca Haithcote who is a music journalist and as you guys know I compartmentalize a lot of these episodes into like either it's a musician or it's somebody in the music industry who can also inspire people who might not necessarily be musicians but know they love music and make you feel like it is possible to survive doing things in the music industry that are not necessarily music. And so I've had the uh, the other uh, another music journalist, Jeff Weiss, on the show. And Rebecca is another prominent Los Angeles music journalist who I just so happened to meet like pretty much right when she got to L.A. We just crossed paths and like the – the scene that was going on back then and somebody was like oh yeah rebecca you uh, you know you got to meet rebecca she's a good writer and somebody's like oh you got to meet lee he's loud and he's the asshole that's just accurate and so we met and then she ended up like when i was trying to figure out how to like be my own manager and make shit pop i was like you know what i need i need a legit bio and i was like invited her i was like look rebecca i know you're a writer and i know and uh you know, I need somebody to like write me a bio and I want it to be like official, you know? And she's like, yeah, cool. Let's like meet up and just talk over coffee. And we went to this place called the bright spot. And we talked about this in, in the podcast too, but I'm, I'm just like reiterating the story. And I, she just let me like talk her fucking ear off for two hours straight. And I left going like, wow, this is like the best I've ever felt. I was like, this is like the best date that I've ever had. That wasn't a date. Like I wish that a date went like this, even though I know that, you know, I'm, I'm like hiring you to write a bio. And anyway, she turned the conversation into a bio and I was such an asshole at the time. I mean, I'm, I just make mistakes. I make so many mistakes in my life. And, uh, you know, we talk again about leading with, with yes in this episode. And I read her, the bio that she wrote and I didn't lead with yes, because I was like, wow, this is like so well-written, but it seems like an article. It doesn't seem like a bio. It seems like an actual, I was like, yo, you, can you like get this published somewhere? I was like, can you like give this to a publication? And so I ended up just writing some shitty bio for myself of like, Lee was born in Alaska. But yeah, she's such a talented writer and such a nice person and so disarming. And you'll see, even in this conversation, like she has this way of conversing with people where she'll say something and make a definitive statement. And then she gives you the convo eyes of like, all right, it's your turn to talk. And you'll hear me. I just like start fucking talking and I can't stop because she's just good at that. And so all of her interviews that she does, uh, that she, that she's been published in LA weekly, LA times, pitchfork, billboard, spin, fader, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She's like in all the, the major publications, her interviews are great and they're talkative and they're conversational. And so, uh, she's someone to look out for. She's a trusted voice in the rap world for me personally, because I know her and I know her tastes and I do think she's a great writer. So keep your 
your eyes peeled for Rebecca Hathcore articles because I think she's super talented. And this is my convo with Rebecca. (laughs) 